Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let's, uh, let's pray. God, what wonderful words, and already these are words that speak to us, that encourage us, that lift us up, that preach to us. We pray that during this time that you would continue to illuminate uh, the wonderful truths in this passage, that it would be something that would literally uh, um, lift us up, make, lift our spirits up. Help us to set our sights upon the resurrected Christ. Help us to know a living hope that nothing in this world can possibly take away, even death itself. God, we uh, stand here uh, as a people of faith. We stand here sharing in the very victory of Christ. And we pray that that victory uh, would become more real to us uh, in this moment and each and every day. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, today's Easter Sunday, and uh, as a way to conclude uh, the sermon series that we've been going through on fear, uh, we want to think a little bit about what Easter Sunday means about fear. And yeah, if you think about fear, I think one of the things that we need if we aren't going to be afraid anymore, if we aren't, we aren't going to live by fear anymore, is we need some kind of assurance. We need some kind of certainty because uncertainty is what plagues everything that we do. Uh, some of us, if we have a certain decision to make, the uncertainty of what, where that decision is going to lead is something that keeps us up all night. If you are deciding, uh, should you live in New York City or should you move somewhere else? The uncertainty of what, the what ifs, what if you move somewhere else, will I be happy there? Uh, are going to plague your mind. If I move somewhere else, am I going to get lonely? Well, what if I'm moving because of a job? I don't like my job right now because there are just too many office politics going along, but what if this new job is even worse? Or maybe you think about uh, being in a relationship or you are in a relationship and you're thinking about getting married and you say, well, should I marry this person? What if I marry this person and I regret it later? What if this person uh, changes and becomes somebody who I don't like anymore? Or what if this person never changes and I just simply get bored of the relationship? These are all these kind of little questions that we ask anytime we approach uh, a, a time of decision and the uncertainty of where that decision is going to lead is oftentimes what fills us with fear. And I think what we usually try to do naturally is we wanna hedge our bets a little bit, right? 
and we want to keep as many doors open as we can. And that's one of the ways to try to make the uncertainties in our life a little bit less scary. And we say, well, you know, if I make this decision, maybe I'll keep this door a little bit open just in case I don't, if I don't like this decision, I can always go back and do this. But we can't possibly keep every single door open, can we? Is that even possible? And you know, even if we could, and even if it were possible to keep every single door open, is that even necessarily a good thing to do? The point of marriage is actually to close every single door upon every other person, and that's what makes a, a marriage flourish and a marriage healthy. You know, in a place like New York where people are always moving in and out, and you know, you talk to a lot of people in New York and it seems like uh, everybody is always there just, just for the time being, but everybody's always thinking about potentially getting out. Uh, sometimes it's hard to build things like friendship, things like community. It's hard to serve a neighborhood. If you always have one foot in and one foot out, one door open <laughs> and one, another door open. And yeah, of course, uncertainty is terrifying, um, but the alternative of how we deal with uncertainty in terms of maybe keeping all the doors open and not fully committing to one thing is not the greatest thing in life either. On the other hand, there are some certainties in life, and sometimes those certainties are what invoke some fear. You know, there's that common saying, right? The only certainties in life are what? Death and taxes. As much as we hate taxes, uh, I would submit to you, they probably don't induce the same level amount of fear as death. Uh, death is a powerful force, isn't it, friends? Um, you ever hear a story of somebody who is dying or who has experienced something tragic and uh, you notice that when that story or that person is, hits a little bit closer to home, uh, it rattles you a little bit more. If you hear about somebody getting hit by a car on the very block that you walk every single day, doesn't that rattle you a little bit more? If you hear about somebody your age uh, getting this terminal disease and you think to yourself, oh, this person is my age and you relate to them, doesn't that rattle you a little bit more? you begin to realize life is more fragile than you thought and one day that could easily be you. Death is a scary thing, friends. It's also scary when it happens to a loved one. I think some of you know this, but about five or six years ago, uh, my mom was diagnosed with some kind of uh, lung condition. And uh, it's a little comical the way my uh, dad decided to tell me about it because uh, we're sitting at the table and he writes it down on a piece of paper. It's called idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. So he writes that on a piece of paper, and maybe I guess he couldn't say it. He hands it to me, slides it across the table, and he goes, look this up on the internet, right? So I go, okay. I Google it. I look it up on the internet. Right? I read about it. It says, no treatment, no cure. Average life expectancy is two years. Now, even though I know everybody eventually dies, that's something that's scary to think about, and it, it can rattle you and uh, you know I think maybe you know you start to make some life changes and I started to think you know at that time uh, my wife and I we didn't have any kids so at that time I was like maybe we should get on it and start <laughs> having kids because my parents are not going to be around much longer now by the way my mom's fine so this was five six years ago she's still alive uh, her condition hasn't worsened um, which tells you, you know, don't always trust everything that you read on the internet. 
but I remember going through the moment of it, and it's, it's a really intense, scary feeling. And I know some of you have gone through it. Some of you are going through it. Death is a certainty in life, but I think it's one of the scariest certainties in life. So the question is, you have uncertainties that cause fear. You have the certainty of death that causes fear. How do you deal with these things? And you know, what the interesting thing about this passage is it tells us the way you deal with it is you actually need another certainty in life. You need another place of assurance. You need something else to give you that assurance. And according to this passage, you know where that assurance comes from. It comes from being united to Jesus and being inseparable from his love for you and I. That's where the assurance comes from. Now, how can love be our assurance? Well, you know, if you think about love and if you think it's just merely like a a sentiment or this positive feeling, uh, it probably can't be our assurance. But that's not how the Bible exactly envisions love when it talks about the love of Christ. You see, the love of Christ is something that is solid. The love of Christ is something that actually does something to us and does something us, The love of Christ actually changes us, not only in our hearts, not only in the invisible, but the promise of the resurrection. Jesus rose from the dead. He was the first fruits of the resurrection, a later harvest to come. We are going to be part of that harvest, which means we also are going to be transformed to glory. We are going to be resurrected. That's what the love of Christ does. But here, when Paul talks about the love of Christ, you know, this is coming at the tail end of one of the most glorious passages in all of Scripture, in Romans 8. It's one of those wonderful chapters that I think has meant so many, so much to so many people. You know, I remember going to these different Christian conferences and a Christian retreat, and uh, sometimes they would have these, like, dramatic readings of Romans 8, and Romans 8 itself uh, preaches very powerfully. And so what I'm going to do here is uh, uh, I want to just summarize, maybe do a little bit dramatic summarization of what Paul is talking about in Romans 8 because it really does climax to the passage that we just read here today where it talks about the love of Christ. So what has Paul been talking about in Romans 8? Let me share with you some of the things that he's been saying. He has been talking about the work of the Spirit and how the Spirit has set us free from the curse of the law. So therefore, friends, there is now no more condemnation for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. No more condemnation. You are no longer condemned under the law. God no longer condemns you. You can no longer even condemn yourself. Nobody can condemn you. We are free. We are delivered, free from that curse, not only from the law, but also from death. In fact, that same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, that same spirit also now dwells within you and I. That same power now dwells within you and I, so now we can put to death the deeds of the body and we can live in such a way that God intended us to live. And the Spirit is the one who bears witness to the fact that we have been adopted into God's family, that indeed we are the children of God, that no longer are we orphans, no longer are we exiled, no longer are we homeless, but God has called us home to himself. And we no longer look at God as some kind of foreign being, but we now cry out to God, Abba, Father, because we can have that kind of relationship with him. We have, in fact, the best support system that anything can provide. 
because no matter what we go through, we have our Abba Father. And so Paul would even say this, you know, I've suffered a lot. I've suffered a great deal in this life, and yet there is always greater hope and greater glory. Paul says, I know that greater glory is going to be one day revealed at the end of history. And, you know, even though he has himself never been a mother, I imagine he has probably seen women giving birth to a child. And, you know, these are the days before hospitals. These are the days before epidurals. Uh, and he probably sat in this little, uh, I don't know, I don't know how they had kids back then actually, but uh, and he would look at the mother as she is giving birth and her eyes are just bloodshot and red and they're literally popping out of her eyes because of all the pain that she has, she's experiencing giving birth to this child. Sweat is pouring down this, uh, this laboring mother's face. She is screaming. She's with the most horrific pain that anybody could ever experience. And as he thinks about that image of a mother giving birth, he says, that is creation. That is a world we live in today. That mother screaming in pain and in anguish, that is suffering. That is death. That is fear. That is pain. That is rejection. That is failure. That is division. That is evil. That is death. And all of creation is screaming out and crying out in pain. But here's what the Spirit is going to do. The Spirit is going to take that laboring mother, take all of that pain, and is going to birth something new and glorious into this world out of this pain. A new creation will come. And in that new creation, just like as a mother who has just given birth, holds her baby for the first time and sees the beauty of this child, the glory of this little newborn child and forgets the very recent pain and it seems like such a distant. That is how it will be for us when we see the new creation, when we see the glory of the resurrected life. We will, yes, we will remember the pain and the suffering, but it will seem like a distant memory compared to the beauty that is beheld before us. The Spirit is our guarantee for that future glory. And the Spirit helps us that even though we are not there yet, the Spirit will help us now in our weakness. The Spirit will even help us to pray, friends, because even when we do not know what to pray, the Spirit intercedes on our behalf. So in Christ and by the Spirit, we really have more than what we could ask for, desire, and imagine. We can say with confidence that those who love God, all things will work together for their good because he has given us that assurance through his love for us. To God, love is not this positive uh, feeling towards us, but it's this real tangible thing. This is what the love of Christ has done and accomplished, and it has come at a great cost a great sacrifice of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. But after those things, there is victory. There is victory through his resurrection. And you see, that's Romans 8. And after all that, what is Paul's response? And we get to our passage. What then can we say? What then shall we say? Is there anything, is there anything we can possibly say in response to that, to that kind of assurance. Well, if we dare say yes, there are some things we can ask. Let's try. 
Let's try to have a hypothetical conversation with Paul. But Paul, my boss is against me. My in-laws are against me. My spouse is against me. My neighbor is against me. Satan is against me, and he seems to be attacking me all the time. Paul's response says, if God is for us, who can be against us? The king of the universe who holds all things in his hands is on your side and actively at work for your good. Who can be against you? Even if the powers of hell are set against you, they will never prevail because God is on your side. But Paul, how do I know God is willing to give me everything I need? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him, gave, gave him us gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You see, God didn't withhold that which was most precious to him for your sake. I, I know you don't feel happy for whatever reason because you don't feel like you have what you need. You think maybe you need more money, maybe you need a relationship, maybe you need a family, maybe you need a better career, maybe you need more friends, maybe you just need an overall better situation in life. I know that's how you th you're feeling right now and that's what you think right now. But think about this. The reason that you don't have these things is actually not because God doesn't love you. Think about it logically. If God didn't love you, why would he give you that which is most precious to you? No, we have a God who wants to give you all things that are good for you, who does not want to withhold even himself from you. And so maybe there's another reason why you don't have these things, but it cannot be because God doesn't love you. He gave you his son. But Paul, I go through life and I feel so, I don't know, I feel so condemned. I feel like a failure. I feel like I haven't achieved enough in life. Well, here's what Paul would say. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Do you get that? No longer are you condemned by God. If God doesn't condemn you, who are you to condemn yourself? Who are others to condemn you? God himself doesn't condemn you but he has given you his son so that there would be now no more condemnation for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. But Paul, you know, I feel like such a loser sometimes in life. I have such a knack of messing up and of disappointing people all the time. In fact, I, I go through life and I feel like I'm disappointing you, God, all the time. How do I know that I won't be a huge disappointment to you, God? How do I know that I'm not a huge disappointment to those around me, to myself? Jesus Christ has given you himself and you now share in his victory. There is no loser in Christ. You are more than conquerors in Christ. More than conquerors in Christ. You are victorious in Christ. And because of that, there is no way you can be a disappointment. But Paul, my life is a little bit uncertain right now. What if tribulation comes? What if distress comes? What if persecution comes my way? What if I don't have anything to eat? What if I don't have anything to wear? What if danger or sword comes my way and my life is threatened? What then? 
For I am sure, neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Are you sure, Paul? Did you hear what I said? For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Right? That is the glorious climax of this passage. That is where our certainty comes from. That is where our assurance comes from that we have become so fused with Christ and we are so inseparable from, from his love for us that nothing can tear it apart. You know, it's like spinal fusion surgery. I, you know, I was reading about spinal fusion surgery because uh, Tiger Woods, you know, he won the Masters. I think it was last week. Was it last week or two weeks ago? I can't keep track of time anymore. Uh, you know, if you're not aware of Tiger Woods, you know, he had some serious injuries. And uh, one of the things he uh, had was like back issues. So his back issues were so severe that uh, apparently he had to get injections every time he had to like sit down and uh, eat dinner. And a lot of people thought he would never play golf again. But uh, he had this surgery called spinal fusion surgery. And I don't know exactly what ailment he had, but uh, basically one of the things that spinal fusion surgery treats is uh, a fractured ver vertebrae. So if you have a fractured vertebrae in your spine, what it does is you insert this bone material taken from your hip and uh, you attach it to a healthy vertebrae and over time, uh, I guess the bone grows and it turns into one bone. You take two vertebrae, one broken, one healthy, it fuses together and becomes one healthy bone. You know, I, as I heard about that surgery, I thought, that's a wonderful illustration of what union with Christ is. <laughs> we are like the broken vertebrae and because of the cross, because of the death and resurrection of Christ, we are attached, we are fused, organically <laughs> fused to Jesus Christ, the glorious one, the infinite one, the one who cannot be killed and cannot be defeated, the one where there is no death. We are fused to him. And because of that, that fusion cannot be severed. That is what Paul is saying here. That is where certainty comes from. If we have been fused with Christ, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Will our struggles, will our hard times, will oppression, will even our sin separate us from the love of Christ? No, because Jesus has overcome. He has fused us to himself. And yes, we can be certain of death. We can be certain of taxes. But according to Paul here, we can also be certain of one more thing, that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And that certainty changes everything. No longer do we have to go through life afraid of an uncertain future because we know the end. We know the end of the story. We know how the movie plays out. You know, it's a little bit like watching a scary movie. During the movie, uh, the suspense makes your heart beat faster. Maybe you get a little bit nervous about what's going to happen to the characters. 
Uh, you know, my wife is terrible at watching scary and suspenseful movies. And uh, one of the things that she does, if the movie is too intense, she'll look it up online and find out what the ending is. And that helps her watch the movie, right? <laughs> you know, it's a little bit like that. We know the ending to the movie because of Jesus' resurrection. And in the end, no matter what we go through, no matter what we go through, that is the power of the resurrection. No matter what we go through, in the end, everything that has been lost or has everything that has been taken away from us will be redeemed in the end. In the end, we will be raised with Christ into a new creation. If you're not happy now, don't worry because joy comes. Joy comes. Eternal joy comes. In the end, we will be glorified in Christ, surrounding the throne of Christ, worshiping the risen Christ, full of joy, full of awe, full of wonder, no more death, no more sin, no more tears. That's the ending to the movie. That is the ending to the movie of history. And if you know that ending, and if that is where we are tracking, that has real power to get us through some of the scary scenes that we go through in life. And if we can be certain of another thing, there will be scary scenes <laughs> that we go through in life. But there will always be hope in the midst of that pain. And one day that pain will be gone, that hope will be realized, and we will be in glory. On Easter Sunday, that's what we remember. That's what we rejoice in. That's what we cling to. And that's where we have to find our certainty. Let's pray.